Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. We do want to turn to Philippians 1 today and start looking in the book of Philippians. Great, which will be, I think, will be a very, very fun study. I was reading about a violinist by the name of Niccolo Paganini, and after his death, he willed his marvelous instrument, his marvelous violin, to the city of Genoa on condition that, I'll give it to you, but it must never be played. Well, the wood of such an instrument, I mean, while it's used and handled, it might only wear slightly, but it you know, it still uh, stays together. But with this kind of wood, if it is not used, if it is just set aside, it begins to decay. And so here was Paganini's lovely violin that had produced so much beautiful music through so many decades. And today, it just has turned into a rotten, worm-ridden, useless relic that's falling apart because it is no longer being used for that which it was created. I wonder how many Christians unwilling to serve the Lord could be described in the same way. Christians are called to do more than sit in pews. Christians are called to do more than just believe the right things, although you need to believe the right things, but there's more to that. Your belief translates into a lifestyle reflective of what it is that you believe and reflective of the Savior who bought you. And this is our mission here at Harvest Baptist Church. We exist as a church not to just go through motions. We don't exist just to have programs. We don't exist just to do activities. We exist to provide an atmosphere that encourages spiritual maturity, a spiritually mature lifestyle through the knowledge and application of Scripture. We want to be a church that grows in our knowledge of the Lord, but then take that knowledge and live it out. If we don't take the knowledge that we learn in Scripture, we are as useless as a rotting violin. The Apostle Paul, he desired that all the churches that he planted would know the truth, but not only know the truth, that they would live out the truth. And it is reflected in his epistles, but I believe it's most clearly seen in the epistle to the Philippians. Um, This epistle is known for its very positive perspective. As we will see, you know, Paul is just very joyful on how well this church is doing, and he wants to challenge them to even greater faithfulness of growing and living for Christ. And that's why I believe for our church, Studying Philippians would be very fruitful for all of us. And so Philippians begins with a typical greeting, and it, but it, it sets the tone for the rest of, uh, of the epistle. We see in the beginning verses here that Paul teaches that a church will flourish when it takes seriously its call to servanthood, to serve. Yes, to know but then take what you know and then serve. And so I wanna look at uh, the greeting that Paul has. If you will stand in reverence to the reading of God's holy word as I read these verses. In Philippians 1, beginning in verse one, 
Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, I pray that we hear your word. We know your word. We get to know you better through your word. But then, Lord, through it, we allow you to lead us where it is you would have us to go and that we would willingly go wherever you lead. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. Now, in order to understand the epistle as a whole, I want to give you a little bit of a background about the, the epistle, you know, what's, what's going on with this particular church. So during Paul's second missionary journey, uh, he kept hitting a roadblock uh, as all of his plans to try to go to Asia just kept being frustrated. He just hit wall after wall after wall. And then one night, he received a vision of a man calling him to come help them in Macedonia. Well, Paul understood that this was a vision from the Lord and calling him to go and share the gospel and plant churches in Macedonia. So he and Silas and Timothy and Luke, they head off in that direction and they eventually find their way to the city of Philippi, which was a strong Roman colony. Now there weren't a whole lot of Jews there in Philippi, so there was no uh, synagogue, but Paul knew that if there was any believers in God in the city, that they would probably meet at the river and have a prayer meeting. Well, sure enough, they go down to the river and there they find a prayer meeting happening. They found a small group praying and worshiping and they share the gospel with them. Among them was Lydia, a seller of purple cloth from Asia, who was a God-fearer. And after hearing the gospel, Lydia and her household believed, gave their lives to Christ, and they actually allowed the group to stay at her home, and it's probably where the church that was planted met, was at Lydia's house. Well, many days later, Paul and Silas are walking through the town, and a demon-possessed girl starts bugging them, and you know she foretold the future, but she was disrupting their ministry. She was being very disruptive, and so they cast the demon out of this girl. Her masters were not overly happy at losing the uh, money-making scheme that they had going on with this fortune-telling demon-possessed slave girl, and so they had Paul and Silas thrown into prison. Well, while they were in prison, they praised the Lord, they sang songs to God, no matter their circumstances, and an earthquake came and opened all the jail cells. Well, when the jailer was about to kill himself, thinking that all the prisoners had escaped, Paul and Silas assured them they're all there. They shared the gospel with the jailer and his family, and the jailer and his family believed. And so here is the beginning of a church, an upper middle class fashion designer, a slave girl, and a blue-collar jailer, all together. Didn't matter their status, didn't matter their background. Now, they were all believers in Jesus Christ, and they were a people that Paul was very fond of. And now, give or take 10 years later, Paul finds himself in prison, again, for the gospel. And he writes this letter to encourage this church that he just has a heart for. And, and 
He knows that they are already servants, but he wants to encourage them in continuing to serve. And so while, you know, the passage that we read today, it's very routine for an introduction, it, it really does set the tone for the rest of the letter. Christians are called to serve. We serve Christ by serving others. And service is not just a, hey, let me do it one time. Okay, I did my duty and then kind of move on from there. But it is a lifestyle that is indicative of us growing and living for Christ. And so this is a lifestyle that we're called to take upon ourselves. And this introduction gives us several principles about servanthood that I think we would do well to study today. And so the first uh, principle that I want to talk about that we find is about the attitude of service. The attitude of service. In verse 1 of the greeting, Paul refers to himself as a servant. And he doesn't qualify it with any other description because but this is interesting because in almost all the rest of the letters that he wrote, he referenced his office of being an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here, he's just a servant. Now the word that's translated for servant might be better translated as slave, as some translations will have it. Uh, the people who fell in this cat, because the word didn't describe, you know, when you think of servants, you might think of, well, butlers and maids and housekeepers, just people who had a job. But that's really not, what wasn't what was going on in the Roman economy of the day. These were servants, these were slaves who, were, who had owed some sort of debt to the master of the household. And, and so now they are owned by and are subservient to that master of the household. And so Paul, by referring to himself as a servant, as a slave, took away any pretense that his title of apostle or church planner or whatever might have given him because he wanted to make sure they understood that he was not any better of a person than any of the rest of them. Somehow, you know, if you have a role, certain role, if you have a certain title, people th might think you think that you're way up there. And Paul, even later in this epistle, he says that, you know, all these things that humanity puts so much stock into, you know, degrees, titles, roles, labels, they're nothing but garbage to him. They mean nothing. It doesn't matter what his titles are. What matters is Christ. He is a servant, a slave, who is owned by and is subservient to the master, who is Jesus Christ. A servant, a slave, in Paul's context had no rights of their own. They were there to serve at the pleasure of the master. They did not ex exist. They did not live to forward their, their own objective. They didn't live to, for their own pleasure, to find pleasure in, in life. They existed to serve at the behest and pleasure of the master, of the one who owned them. And elsewhere, Paul tells us that if we are true believers in Jesus Christ, Guess what? We were bought with a price. We are no longer our own. Therefore, everything that is us, our person, our personality, our gifts, our talents, our energy, our resources, they all belong to the master and are there to be used to serve. 
the master. We exist at the behest and pleasure of Jesus Christ. And this is the attitude that Paul has here. This is what he is describing. Paul, you know, we think, well, that's Paul. Paul, the super apostle. He wasn't any different or any better than anybody else. He was a servant. He was a slave of Jesus Christ. He was there to serve Christ as Christ saw fit for him to serve. There was nothing about his abilities, nothing about his role, nothing about his title that made him special. And what's so interesting, if you actually look in the Old Testament, the people that we would consider biblical heroes, they themselves take on the title and role of servant of God, slave of God. Moses, Joshua, David, Daniel, name any of the biblical heroes. They were referred to as the servants of God because that's what mattered. They were there to serve God. They were there to serve at the behest of the master. That was the attitude. I'm not special because of the titles and degrees and roles that I have. I'm not any more special than anybody else. I am but a servant and slave of Jesus Christ. Now there's two aspects of this attitude that I wanna quickly highlight. First, this attitude embodies humility and selflessness, which needs to be said because in our natural, you know, our sinful nature, but just the natural way things go within us, and honestly, the way that the world puts pressure on us, it would be natural for us to make everything about us. Life is about me. And so I'm going to serve myself. And anything and everybody and around me is there to somehow to be used for my needs or whatever. But that is not the attitude that we have. Truly following Christ actually goes in, well, the opposite direction than what the world says and even our own sinful nature says. It's not about us. Christ says it's about serving him and we serve him by serving others. And the only way we're able to do that is to take on and put on the attitudes of humility and selflessness. It doesn't come naturally and so that is something that, again, we need the Lord Jesus Christ to lead us in and to grow us in, but we live in humility and selflessness. This is why Christ said, in Matthew 20, verses 26 through 28, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, Jesus Christ himself is the ultimate example of this attitude of servanthood. He who is king of kings, who is Lord of lords, did not come to serve himself, but he gave himself for everybody else. So the question is, you know, Jesus came to serve, are we any better than the master? And then so, you know, one aspect of, of this attitude is the humility and selflessness, and then tied to this is the second aspect which is we live 
to please the master. Our desire is to please the master over anybody else. I'm here to please Jesus. You're here to please Jesus. A true servant is more concerned about pleasing the master than pleasing themselves, than pleasing the world, than pleasing their friends, than pleasing their family. The desires of the master come first and foremost, even if it means displeasing others. If, I, if we had a choice of pleasing this human being over here or pleasing God, that's not much of a choice. I'm going to please God. And if this human being over here doesn't like it, well, tough. Because we are here to please the Lord. Uh, there was a man named John Kenneth Galbraith who was an American diplomat, and he wrote an autobiography. And in, in this autobiography, he, he talked about this devotion that their family's housekeeper had for him. She, she knew who she served. And so in the autobiography, he writes, it had been a wearying day and I asked Emily, the housekeeper, to hold all my telephone calls while I had a nap. Shortly thereafter, the phone rang. President Lyndon Johnson was on the phone calling from the White House. And he said, get me Ken Gillibrate. This is Lyndon Johnson. The housekeeper said, he's sleeping, Mr. President. He did not, he said not to disturb him. The president said, well, wake him up. I want to talk to him. And the housekeeper said, no, Mr. President, I work for him, not for you. So then Kenneth uh, says, when I called the president back, he could scarcely, scarcely control his pleasure. Tell that woman I want her here at the White House because she knew who she was serving. So that's, you know, the, the attitude we, we have is, you know, whatever is going on in the world and whatever pressures that the world and the people around us put on, we got to remind them, look, I don't work for you. I work for him. So, sorry. That's what I'm going to do. Such a single-hearted dedication to the one devoted to in humility and selflessness. That is the attitude of service that we take on. But not only today do we see the attitude of service, secondly today I wanna to talk about the fellowship of service. The fellowship of service, because Paul reaches out to the saints, he says. You know, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints. Now that title saint, it refers to everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. It is not like some super holy people Okay, there's your normal Christians, and then there's your saints. No, everyone here is a saint. Now, whether or not you want to go around and say, hi, I'm saint so-and-so, you know, that's up to you. But it refers to you being set apart, you being holy, consecrated unto God through Jesus Christ. But these saints are part of a local church, a local body, to all the saints who are at Philippi. And it's within the fellowship of this local church that they were going to serve together. Now, yes, there, there is the call of the individual to take on the attitude of service, but it's not a call for Christians to serve alone. Rather, it's best done within the fellowship of the believers. I mean, yeah, there's going to be times in your life when you serve outside the context 
of the church, maybe a neighbor needs help or coworker or, or someone like that. But we always remember that we have opportunities in and through the local church to serve Christ. There's several reasons that servanthood is a component of being part of this fellowship, being part of the larger group. First, it's through the local church that we can encourage and support one another in service. We're here to encourage one another to serve. I don't know about you, but there's several things in life that I should do, but I don't do because, well, one, I don't have the self-discipline, and two, I don't have the self-motivation in myself. But if someone would come alongside me to kind of spur me on and encourage me, well, I'd be more apt to do it. So as much as that is true of things of physical life, be it encouraging to exercise or diet or whatever, how much more true is it for the things of Christ, for serving Christ? We need someone to encourage us to fulfill our great calling that we have in Christ, to come alongside of us and not berate us or make us feel guilty, but to remind us of the privilege that we have of serving Jesus Christ by serving others and the spiritual blessings that we receive when we give ourselves over to servanthood. The writer of Hebrews understood this. He knew the importance of the fellowship of the church encouraging one another to do great work. That's why he wrote in Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Figure out a way to encourage one another to serve. In a sense, we can hype each other up to serve people in the name of Jesus Christ. But we do it, you know, as a church, and that's why he continues this exhortation with a verse we're all familiar with, obviously, verse 25 of Hebrews 10. He says, not neglecting meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, we need to be active in the church so we can be encouraged and we can be an encouragement to other people towards service. And, and a great benefit of serving in this way is, is that you build a stronger relationship with brothers and sisters in, in Christ. You, you serve and you encourage one another to serve, and you're, you're, you're building that relationship with, with brothers and sisters in Christ, getting to know them, and you're just encouraged by them and, and their life and what they're doing, and you're an encouragement to them. That, that, that's what, what we need, and I really think that this that's something that's beneficial for all of us. You know, uh, I mean, the, the fellowship that comes with being in the orchestra, being in the choir, or serving that way, or any of the other ways. And I really, I really think, you know, the, the, I really want to encourage everyone here. Find a place of service within the church so you can build that relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. Because, I mean, we're not a small church, but we're not a giant church. But, I mean, it's, I don't know if you say interesting or, or whatever, but over the past several months, I have had the same comment made to me over and over again because of the growth that we've been blessed with. People have said, well, I, I just don't know the people in the church. I don't know all these people in the church. I mean, I'm probably the only one that knows the you know, vast majority of, of the people. Well, I want you to know one another and I want you to build relationships with one another and the best way to do is to find ways to serve 
And, and then you're serving alongside brothers and sisters in Christ and you get to know them. You get to build that relationship. So I would highly encourage that. That relationship will blossom. But another aspect of this fellowship of, of service that I want you to consider is, is that together we're able to make a greater impact than we are apart. Because each of us has been given a particular gifting by the Holy Spirit. We don't all possess the same gift. And so there are things I cannot do because I am not gifted that way, but you are, and you're able to take care of it. We need, we need each other to take up the slack of what we're lacking, if that, I guess if we want to put it that way. You know, I'm, I, I only have a few gifts, and you know, you have other gifts, and so I need you to fill in where I'm lacking. And maybe you need me to fill in where you're, you're lacking. And so in his other epistles, you know, Paul, he gives this picture of the church a, a, as a body. And there's different parts that make up the body. I mean, e and each part has a different function, right? But together, they are working to do whatever it is the body needs to do. And when we work together, when we're using the gifts that God has given us and the power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to accomplish a whole lot in service to Christ because we're working toward whatever the common goal that he has for us. And, and I, want you to, I want to note that, I mean, there is no one that is exempt from this service because in verse one, Paul says, uh, gives us, if you want to say a special greeting to the overseers and deacons, the overseers is with just the leadership of the church. You know, we, in our day and age, we call them pastors. So the two offices within the church, pastor and deacon. He isn't pointing them out because they're special in any way. Rather, he's emphasizing them to remind them, you're part of this local body as well. Guess what? You as leadership, you are to encourage the people to serve, but you yourself are to serve. Don't think that because you are an overseer or a deacon that somehow you're exempt from all of this. You're part of this service as well. And we gotta remember that, you know, pastors and deacons, we're not like CEOs and board members with, you know, telling people what to do. You know, we're not over a corporation. We are part of the body and we have been gifted in certain ways and we need to heed the call to service. We need to use our gifts to serve others as well. And so everyone here, if you're in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has given you a gift, use it to serve. You know, Paul, Peter exhorted us in 1 Peter 4.10. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We're stewards of the grace that God has given us. You're gifted, use it. Use it within the church, whatever it is, because the body needs all the parts of the body to work together, right? I read this story about a man named Timothy Stackpole who was a New York firefighter. He, in 1998, he got severely burned, and after he recovered, he came back, even though he was encouraged not to, he came back, but he was a great firefighter, he was passionate about his work, and he was soon promoted to captain. He knew he had been given a gift, a skill, that complemented the rest of his company. And so he knew that together they would be able to help the city of New York. Well, Timothy led his team into the second tower on 9-11 to try and save some people according to their gifting, according to their calling. Unfortunately, it collapsed and took his life and many of his team. But Timothy knew his calling. 
to serve the people of New York by saving people in New York together with the rest of his team. It was a fellowship of service. And I pray that we would have that same fellowship of service here to serve others according to our calling, according to our gifting, so that Jesus Christ is made known. And his name is glorified through the service that we give. So I pray that that is our heart. Very quickly, one last principle I wanna talk about is the basis for service, the basis for our service. Paul gives this general greeting that he gives in most of his epistles, but it tells us why we serve, because he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We serve because we have been extended grace by God and through that grace of God, through Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. You know, as church people, we might think that the gospel is just so basic and, you know, we, we, we might forget its true impact. It doesn't have an impact on us anymore. We might not remember how lost we were before Christ, how helpless we were before Christ. But guess what? There's a reason why the song is called Amazing Grace, because it's amazing. I don't care how highly you think of yourself, you are not we're not and will not be good enough, smart enough, or warm and fuzzy enough for God to, to earn God's will, goodwill, his goodwill. God had no reason whatsoever to show any kindness or mercy, but he did because he's good. By his grace, he sent his son to pay the penalty for our sins that we are not able to cover, and by grace, he offers eternal life. And every day we live is a day of grace. God has given you this day. God has given you everything you have, every good and perfect gift. And it's all by his grace, a gift to be received by believing in Jesus Christ. And through that grace, we have peace with God. And when we have peace with God, we get peace from God. The Jewish word is shalom. It speaks about our well-being. So when Jews would greet each other with shalom, it was a wish for, that they would experience God's blessing, which leads to their well-being. Shalom is peace of heart, soundness of mind, calmness of spirit that comes with a right relationship with God. It isn't a promise of, of a lack of conflict, but the experience of the goodness of God, even when we're in the midst of conflict. Grace and shalom are given in Jesus Christ. And because God has provided all of this for us out of gratitude, we serve. This is the why. Why do I serve? Because God has given me his grace and his peace. What more reason do I need? What more motivation is there? I'll close with this thought. John Wesley, I think he provides the most convicting analysis of what it means to answer the call to servanthood. He said, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you can. And I pray that we do that. Our mission as a church is growing and living in Christ together. And, you know, service isn't just an output. Doing things, service is actually an input, meaning service is actually an important part of your own spiritual growth. You want to grow spiritually? Then serve. 
You want to receive more? Then give more. That's God's economy. That's the way it works. And so Christian, today I invite you to come and pray that God would lead you to where he would have you serve. You know, we, we sang about he leadeth me. Maybe you need some leadership from him. Come to the altar and pray for that leadership. I pray that none of us end up like that rotting violin that I talked about at the beginning. Not doing anything. But maybe there are some here today who haven't received the grace and shalom of God because they've never believed in Jesus Christ. Today during the invitation, I'm gonna be up front here. I invite you to come and receive Jesus Christ. Maybe some have, feel led to join the church. Come, join, join this church, be part of this body, serve the Lord Jesus Christ through Harvest Baptist Church and be a blessing to his people. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry at Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.